The Bear Down Report Podcast, featuring Mike Page, Logan Brand, Jack Wright, and Ryan Dangle. Bear Down Report. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of the Bear Down Report Podcast. This is the seventh of nine position groups, and folks, we, man, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, I have been a very big fan of J.J. Stankovitz's uh, since he's been covering the Chicago Bears for, for quite some time. Most recently, you can find him on the House of L podcast. J.J., thank you so much for being part of the Bear Down Report podcast tonight. Yeah, glad to get on with you guys, Ryan and Jack. Looking forward to uh, a good discussion here. Let's talk about a few things. So, uh, JJ, I, I'm curious, first and foremost, what is it like being on the opposite end of this? You are a podcast host. You've been doing it for a long time. What's it like being on the other side of things? It's, it's weird. Like, I'm not as connected as I was when I was obviously covering the team. Um, you know, because for any of, you know, listeners who, who maybe don't know, my position was limited. I was laid off last month from NBC Sports Chicago. So really for the last month now, I've been kind of, I've been invested. Like I, it's hard to completely turn it off. I likened it on uh, House of L to sort of like a dimmer switch where I, I have kind of turned down the brightness of my, uh, my interest in, in things, but it's still on, you know, the light is still on. So I, I've been very curious, obviously what the bears are going to do because I mean, I invested the last four years into the Bears quarterback situation and I can't just completely turn that off. But it is also kind of nice where on a Saturday night, I don't have to chase bogus Carson Wentz rumors while I'm, you know, <laughs> hanging out with my wife and trying to have a nice night watching a movie and, you know, having a couple glasses of wine. And, you know, I get on Twitter just kind of reflexively and I'm like, oh, looks like there's a rumor going around the Bears, are, you know, going to trade for Carson Wentz tonight. I guess I don't need to like text anyone and try to chase that down. So in one sense, it's not bad. Man, JJ, it's so crazy to think that uh, the, the back and forth of, it seems like every day there's a new quarterback that we're talking about, and we're bringing you on to talk about quarterbacks. Uh, so there, there's so much to discuss here. Before, though, we get into quarterbacks, uh, I was listening to one of the most recent episodes of the House of L podcast, and I felt like you were, you were giving my guy Cairo Santos a bit of a raw deal, saying you didn't want the Bears to, uh, to invest some money in it. JJ, talk us through that a little bit. Well, okay, so here's, here's my thing with Cairo Santos, is that kickers on a year-to-year basis, unless you have Justin Tucker or, I mean, I look like Robbie Gold the last year wasn't, wasn't all that great. Like, uh, unless you have one of the two or three best kickers in the NFL, it is a very, very random position. The variance year-to-year for kickers is just all over the place. And I brought up Dan Bailey, who – you know, as you guys know, was absolutely terrible for the Vikings in 2020. And he got a contract extension right before the season because he was really good in 2019. And I've just cautioned the Bears, like, if they're going to invest anything significant into Cairo Santos, that is a really, really dangerous proposition to me. I would be very cautious about doing that because the Bears don't have a lot of money to spend. They have a lot bigger needs than kicker. And if you can't address, say, D-line depth or wide receiver depth or another position of depth that you're going to need in 2021 to be able to win because you went and you paid Cairo Santos $3 million, 
that to me would be a bad investment. I love Kyra Santos, you know, the story behind him and him kind of finding a groove, but history tells us that just because Kyra Santos was good in 2020 does not mean he's going to be good again in 2021. Folks, if you are thinking about buying or selling a home this year, you've got to visit GenevaJeff.com to learn more about how Jeff Cadwallader with At Properties can help you. Jeff knows you need experience when it matters most. Visit GenevaJeff.com today, or you can give my guy Jeff a call or a text at 630-254-4734. JJ, I know Ryan and I were super crushed when we saw that you were let go. We appreciate all the work that you've done a great deal. So I wonder if you could catch our audience up a bit and talk a little bit about how you caught fire and started getting into sports writing in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back really to when I was in elementary school and uh, having the realization that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to live out every kid's dream of playing sports professionally. And I remember it was, it was in sixth grade and I went to elementary school and I was in the same class as Evan Turner, who was the uh, AP college basketball player of the year for Ohio state 2010 uh, made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in the NBA in his career. And I remember playing basketball and baseball with Evan and just being like, this kid's so good. And I'm just nowhere near that. So I, I always liked writing and I was sort of like, all right, let's see if I can make a career out of writing about sports. So, um, you know, I was on the sports staff on my high school newspaper and I went to Mizzou and pursued sports writing there. Um, and I kind of got a break when I was hired as a summer intern at then CSN Chicago in 2010, between my two, uh, junior and senior years in college. And I never left. Um, I, you know, I went back to school for one more year, stayed in contact with our digital director at the time, TK Gore, who's been a mentor and a champion for all of my work. Um, and he hired me back as a part-time web editor right after I graduated, uh, I was doing a White Sox blog for CSN Chicago. And then I pitched them on covering Notre Dame football. And TK, you know, went for my pitch. He said, let's give it a shot. That was 2011. And I covered Notre Dame from 2011 to 2016, and then got moved to the Bears beat uh, in 2017, covered the Bears for four seasons uh, before my time there finally came to an end. And, you know, it, it sucks. Getting laid off sucks. But when you see the level of talent that has been tossed away by NBC Sports Chicago and the NBC Sports, uh, you know, by, by the NBC Sports Group, you know, from Patrick Mooney to Dan Hayes, who are now doing great jobs at The Athletic covering the Cubs and the Twins, uh, Layla Rahimi, who's probably the best Chicago sports talker there is in my opinion you know she gets let go they cut Lawrence Holmes job who is my podcast partner uh at NBC Sports Chicago and you know the, the so many behind the scenes people like Tom Cooper and Scott Crinch who did such great work building the network and building the website I was just sort of like you know what it's probably inevitable that they're going to get rid of me and uh eventually that finally happened and I don't have any bad, you know, ill will to anyone who's there. I think there are a lot of really talented people who are still there. But unfortunately, the business stinks. And 
you know, the, especially the regional sports network business is not a very good one to be in right now. Um, and it's just, it, it's a shame because it, it hurts fans. It hurts fans like you guys to have fewer voices covering the teams that, you know, you guys love. And uh, I don't, you know, totally plan on going anywhere in terms of my opinions on the bears and, and all that, but I don't also really plan on getting back into sports writing and sports reporting. Um, I'm trying to change career paths into something that I like doing and is also a lot more sustainable for my family and me. So um, that's kind of the, the Cliff's notes version of how I got into sports writing and now how I'm looking to get out of sports writing. JJ, that that's that's a pretty big bomb, man. I mean, I I completely understand, and I I know our, our listeners will understand, but I, you know, I don't think this can be understated as how good you are at what you do when when you are talking about Chicago Bears, uh, and to hear you say that you're getting out of the business, man, that that really that 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 just that took me off, man. I, wow, um, that is a huge huge loss. The, the person who I admired the most on the Bears beat, like when I got on the Bears beat, you know, you're trying to look at, all right, who, who are like the really, really good reporters and analysts on the beat? And for me, it was Rich Campbell, who, you know, everything I read of his was really meaty and well-reported and well-written and well-argued. And, you know, that's not, to, that's not a slight at anyone else on the beat. Certainly, it's a really competitive beat. But Rich just left the business last year. And... When he did that, I was like, good for you, man. Like, you got out before they could cut your job. That's the dream. I wasn't able to get out before they cut my job. But, you know, that's, that's kind of where a lot of people are at. Um, you know, you're seeing a lot more people who are kind of preeminent voices for the teams that they cover say, this isn't a good business to be in. Uh, the model is really bad. And you know what? I'm going to get out before they fire me, before they lay me off. And those are the people who I, I'm like, you know, hats off to you. And, and Rich was, again, when, you know, when Rich left the business last year, I was like, all right, you know, and if Rich can leave sports writing, a guy who, if he got laid off from the Tribune, would have found a job in seconds. Um, if Rich can leave it, then I can leave it too. So on that same note, JJ, I've heard it on the national level often said that there's almost a drought when it comes to in-depth coverage of local sports teams. So do you agree with that? And if that's the case, then what exactly is going on? Well, in a, in a sense, there is. It depends on the team. Like, Bear, like Bears fans are fortunate in this city that the beat is so large that, you know, me leaving – I don't, you know, I, I think it's kind of maybe a ripple in the pool. It's not a wave, you know. You still have Kevin Fishbane to read. You still have Adam Johns and, you know, all the folks at the Sun-Times, Pat Finley, Jason Leisure, Mark Potash, who I, I love and respect so much. Um, you know, Dan Weederer still does a really good job at the Tribune, and, and so does Colleen Kane and Brad Biggs. Like, Jeff Dickerson and Chris Emma, like, I, I can rattle off so many people who are on the beat who are very talented and very, very good at what they do that, you know, Bears fans are going to be okay. Where it's more pronounced is like, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, 
during spring training, the Chicago Tribune laid off Chris Cook, who was covering the White Sox. They just laid him off in the middle of spring training. They had no White Sox coverage. And that, to me, is where it's bad for fans, is on these smaller beats where, you know, for White Sox fans, like my, my parents are diehard Sox fans who got the Tribune every day, and they canceled their subscription when the Tribune had no more White Sox coverage, you know, or at least no more regular White Sox coverage. And I don't blame them because, well, you know, that that is bad for fans. And I think they're the, the, the way the business is going is because there are so many there are so many different ways for a media outlet to not make money nowadays. Um, the the smaller beats and the fans who, you know, the, the really diehard fans who want to be a fan of, you know, say Northwestern football have so many fewer outlets to follow their team. And, you know, or at least outlets that cover the team regularly. There, there are obviously a lot of blogs and independent podcasts that do a great job, but, I think that it's it's generally it's bad for fans, but I also understand the, the flip side of it, which is that the business is just not very good, and it's it's a really hard business to make money in. I hope the athletic makes it. I I, I really do because I have so many friends who work there and, and so many talented writers work there. But it kind of feels like if the athletic doesn't work. Like, I don't know what happens to sports journalism. I think it might be a lot of independent bloggers and a lot of towns that maybe only have one or two reporters covering these teams, um, which may morph into something different, but I don't think it will be better for fans, if that makes any sense. Well, I know that uh, Logan Bradley, who who is part of our podcast, uh, has talked about it endlessly that The Athletic brings in such great content that you can get a, a quick, you know, blogger's view or you can get a quick like, hey, what happened? But to get that in-depth writing, something like The Athletic is is worth every penny for a, a subscription or something along those lines. Yeah, you know, and, and The Athletic, they are, they have not a complete monopoly, close to a monopoly uh, nationally on the, the most important voices. You know, if I want to go read something about Major League Baseball, I'm reading Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich or, you know, their other, you know, national baseball writers. They have Jason Stark on their staff. You know, if I want to go read a really in-depth researched piece about the NFL, like Mike Sando and Shale Kapadia do a great job there. And, you know, locally here in Chicago, there are a lot of talented people who cover our teams. So, you know, while, yes, I'm reading Kevin Fishbane every day on the Bears that he writes, I'm also reading, you know, Potsy and Pat Finley and, and, you know, other folks on the beat. So it's Chicago is, is a, a really, really good sports town. It's a really good town to be a fan in. But, I, you know, I, I always wonder about what happens if the Athletic loses, you know, say it's, uh, you know, like it's, even if it's like Wisconsin, you know, if, if that gets diluted a little bit, what happens to Packers fans and Brewers fans and Bucks fans? Um, because, you know, those fans are, are really good too. And 
I just, I, I, I really wonder what the future looks like. And, and that's why I'm kind of like out on getting back into it because I don't know what sports writing looks like in five years. You know, five years ago, the athletic barely existed. And five years from now, I hope the athletic still exists. Do I know if it's going to exist? Not really. JJ, from one diehard Sox fan to your two parents, uh, I fully understand, especially when, you know, the White Sox are starting to trend upwards. Uh, that is a super disappointing, you know, trend. I did want to change subjects, though, if it's okay. And, and now that you have had a little bit of time away from the beat, and I really liked your, your dimmer switch analogy, as you look back, what's it been like covering the Bears? What was it like? Ah, uh, boy, it was, what was it like covering the Bears? It was fun. Uh, I think that's like, I, I, that's probably, you know, a, a pretty cliche answer, but it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I think the, the overwhelming feeling I have though, is just like, man, I watched a lot of bad football. Um, the, the fun came from, you know, game day and, you know, that first year getting to do the pregame show with Lawrence and, and the football after show crew, um, you know, and, and doing the podcast and getting to know fans and, you know, developing relationships with fans like, you know, like you guys and, you know, other, other folks like Greg Braggs, who I just absolutely adore that guy. Um, that like, that's the fun. <laughs> the, the, it was exhausting watching a lot of really bad offense though like I wish I could have covered a team that had like an exciting offense you know um that would have been a lot more fun and uh you know I think that's also why you wanted to have me on was to talk about the quarterbacks and you know my first year the Bears draft Mitch and it's sort of like okay let's you know let's see where this goes let's see if they can develop this guy into something and they certainly didn't, and now they're back to square one, but in a much worse spot than even they were four years ago when they drafted him. So I, I, I think I, I'm always going to have fond memories of covering the Bears, just like I do, you know, in my time covering Notre Dame football. Um, you know, remembering the road trips and, and going on, you know, going to London in 2019 was, was awesome. Um, and, you know, just having fun in different cities with, you know, some of the folks on the beat. Um, those are the memories I'm really going to remember, but the, the actual football part of it, a uh, lot of, for, lot more forgettable football than fun football to cover. JJ, before we go any further, just from a fan's perspective, reaching out to a couple of our, our listeners, they all kind of said, wow, JJ is such a good guy. And any interaction that, that I've talked to with any other fans have all said the same thing about you. So from a fan's perspective, cause there have been a, a few sports writers that let's just say were less than approachable and you were never that guy. And so we just, seriously, we, we can't say thank you enough for, for just being so approachable in, in regards to our Chicago bears fandom. Um, if it's okay, we would like to just start getting into some of the, the meat of the content that we were kind of hoping to talk to you about. I guess the, the first yeah. question, 2020, maybe something that hasn't been said or just these, this early parts of the 2021 off season, things that you've been kind of thinking about. I mean, the first thing I've been thinking about is like, what, what the hell do the bears do with Allen Robinson? Um, and I know you, you know, you guys probably already touched on wide receivers, but to me, that 
that is the biggest domino that has to fall before anything else can begin to kind of fit into the Bears offseason puzzle. Um, and to me, if I'm Allen Robinson, I wouldn't want to come back. Um, but the Bears do have the franchise tag. That window opened today on Tuesday. And what I'm fascinated in, though, is what, what does Allen Robinson do if the Bears use the franchise tag on him? Does he say, all right, let's go back to the table that the Bears were not really willing to have a seat at and see if they can, you know, pay me what I'm worth, finally? Or does he go back with the thought of, look, you used the tag on me, the price is now four years and $80 million, or $85 million, or $86 million, or whatever it is, and if you don't want to pay that, I'm sitting out and you have to trade me. That, I think, is going to be the, the really, really interesting um, kind of dynamic here with the Bears is what happens with Allen Robinson because that will impact what quarterback they can go get and, quite frankly, what quarterback they should go get. Because if you don't have Allen Robinson, like, you're, you're not fixing Sam Darnold without Allen Robinson, you know? That there is a a very real chance that the Bears do not have Allen Robinson in 2021, and if they don't, to me that should color where they what they do with their quarterback situation. Like if they want to take a big swing at quote unquote fixing a quarterback and getting the most out of somebody, you do it without Allen Robinson, you're not going to do it. You know, like it, it would you know Carson Wentz. If the Bears went after Wentz, but all of a sudden, hey, bud, sorry, we don't have Allen Robinson anymore. Darnell Mooney's your number one wide receiver. I'm Carson Wentz. I'm like, oh, God, I just got out of Philadelphia where my number one wide receiver was what, like Greg Ward? And now I'm stuck here with a, you know, Darnell Mooney is a good player, but he's not a number one wide receiver. What do we do? So to me, that that's kind of the first push and pull for the Bears in the offseason. And then from there, it's does Ryan Pace overcommit resources to try to fix this problem or does he go about it in a more sensible way that may not save his job, but may allow the bears to remain somewhat competitive for the next couple years? Well, the thing that I've been kind of trying to figure out JJ is Ryan Pace seems like he has rewarded players that have played well, especially young players that have played well with long-term contracts. And for some reason, Allen Robinson wasn't that guy. And I don't understand why early on in 2020, they weren't sitting down to conversations because at least what Allen Robinson's camp is saying is that they haven't had talks for months, which I, I am trying to understand as a Bears fan. Here's the, the best wide receiver you've had probably since Brandon Marshall with significantly less headaches, and you're not actively trying to sign him. JJ, any thoughts to that whatsoever, what the Bears were doing by not trying to sign him a long time ago? I think, I think the thing I've come around to here is I don't know if Ryan Pace values wide receivers. Like, I think just base level, I really question how Ryan Pace believes he can build a wide receiver room. Because if you're the Bears, like, Allen Robinson not only is, like you said, the best wide receiver you've had since, Alan, since Brandon Marshall, but he is a really good soldier. Someone who 
sets an example for the rest of the room. You know, someone who goes about his business day in and day out the right way. And, oh, by the way, you know, you talk about wanting to reward players who are, are good representatives of the Chicago Bears. Well, you're not going to find someone who's a better representative of the Bears than Alan Robinson, who's within Reach Foundation, has done a lot of really, really impressive work in the city of Chicago since he got here. So why they're, why they, you know, it was reported back in September by ESPN that the Bears kind of lowballed Allen Robinson. I guess, I think it was Dan Graziano reported, they were, they were looking at like Cooper Cup money, which for Allen Robinson, like, are you nuts? Allen Robinson's not a $16 million wide receiver. He's 18 to 20, maybe more now that he's reached kind of the precipice of the open market. So to me, that goes, that goes to a thought that Ryan Pace believes he can build his wide receiver room kind of on the cheap. And I wonder how much, like two factors go into that. First being Pace's upbringing with the New Orleans Saints, where they largely were able to do that, right? You know, they, they got uh, Marcus Colston in the seventh round. And I wonder if, you know, Pace will always kind of remember that, given he was, you know, kind of a scouting guy. Um, and then secondly, Pace did take a big swing at wide receiver his first year in Chicago, and it did not work out well in Kevin White. So is that something that now Ryan Pace is looking at and saying, uh, you know, maybe we can go about this, you know, in a more inexpensive way. I really do wonder that, um, which kind of leads us to why the Bears lowballed Allen Robinson. And it seems like th there might be another factor here in that Pace just doesn't view wide receivers the way that you know we may want him to um and there is some you know hey look you just found darnell mooney in the fifth round like that that would be kind of a point in pace's favor in a sense but at the same time like you know for every darnell mooney you find in the fifth round you have wide receivers who don't work out and you know anthony miller in the second round hasn't quite worked out so I think that it's a long-winded way of saying that Pace just – maybe it's kind of in his ethos to not want to pay a wide receiver $20 million a year no matter who that wide receiver is. Let's dive into the focus of the program. We really want to hear what you think about quarterback play, JJ. Super easy question, softball. How would you rate quarterback play – for 2020 for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I mean, it's an F, right? Like, you know, Nick, I remember when Nick Foles, uh, you know, they subbed him in against Atlanta. And the week after, I remember writing something that was, you know, I, I did a little reporting on it and was sort of like, okay, like, here's where Nick Foles can improve the Bears offense. Like, what we saw to Mitch, I thought was sort of like, all right, that's about as far as Mitch can take it. But there are some things that Foles can do that should aid the offense. I remember one of the things was yards after the catch. Like, I thought Foles' accuracy was going to get the Bears to a point where, um, you know, they could, they could start getting yards after the catch, which was something that they, I mean, they, like, never did when, 
Mitch was their quarterback. They, they were among the worst teams in the NFL at generating yards after the catch. And I was like, all right, they can just get an accurate quarterback who can turn a, an eight-yard completion into a 14-yard completion, and that will have a significant impact on what this offense can do and what the ceiling of this offense can do. And it turned out that, that what happened was Matt Nagy went and said, all right, Nick is Nixon. This offense that we installed in a truncated training camp that was under center based and play action based and too tight end based, that's gone. We are now going back to running the offense that I think I can run because Alex Smith did it really well when I was in Kansas City. And we think Nick Foles can run it at a similar level. But they didn't have the offensive line. They didn't have the, the skill position players around Nick Foles. And by the way, Nick Foles is a worse quarterback in 2020 than Alex Smith was in 2017. So it, it was just a, a complete unmitigated disaster. And, you know, then turning back to Mitch, I, I think if Mitch hadn't got hurt in that Saints game, Nagy might have done it sooner. And it might have, you know, the Bears wound up making the playoffs. So I, I guess it, quote unquote, didn't really matter. But I think that ultimately Matt Nagy just could not trust Trubisky. And that's what we saw against the Packers and the Saints. Um, and, you know, one, one of the columns I enjoyed writing the most, even if it was kind of after, you know, some dour circumstances, was after the Bears lost in the playoffs, just writing like, you know, Nagy and Mitch are headed toward a breakup. Like, I, this has run its course. And if Matt Nagy can't trust his quarterback – with the season on the line against the Packers in week 17, and then in the playoffs against the Saints, like, what are we doing here? Why should we bother to talk about bringing back Mitch if Matt Nagy is going to put him into a shell and say, you know what, like, we're, we are going to run a very risk-averse offense for these last two games. Like, you can't win in the NFL doing that, especially when your defense is, like, top, 12 instead of top two. So I think that the, the, the ship sailed on Mitch to me in those last two games. And now it's time to turn the page. And, you know, the, the, the reports of like, oh, they haven't closed the door on Mitch and, and all that is very February NFL rumor. Like that, that's, it's a very February NFL rumor. It's, I don't think there's a lot of substance to that. I would be stunned if the bears, came to the point where they said, all right, we're going to bring back Mitch. So JJ, you know, Mitch stands at fifth all time in yards, fifth all time in touchdowns. He's number one in completion. Now that's probably saying a whole lot about how awful the Chicago bears position has been, but I guess I'm kind of curious. Do you feel like Mitch in any way got a raw deal, meaning that Maggie's his coach and John Fox was there to develop him as well. Do you, you think it's possible if there was another coach that was brought in that, that maybe he could have developed better or did we see, Hey, this is his ceiling and this is who he is. And that's it. I think he could have developed better, but I think his ceiling always would have been lower. The, the, the mistakes that we've seen him make, uh, those are mistakes that a quarterback in a great system is still going to make. You know, I, I think like, it, you know, like think about LA with Jared Goff. Like we saw what the ceiling of Jared Goff is even with Sean McVay 
you know, a, a guy who's an offensive genius who really knows how to build an offense. I think you would have seen a lot of the same with Mitch where maybe he has a year where it's like, whoa, you know, Mitch is throwing for 38 touchdowns and six interceptions and holy cow, this guy's incredible, but it always would have regressed when the league caught up to him. And there's probably not a coach in the world who could have turned Mitch into a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson or even close to as good as Patrick Mahomes. So I, I don't, I don't think Mitch got as raw of a deal as some folks may want to make it out to be, but he absolutely could have been better if from the get go, Kyle Shanahan was his coach or Sean McVay was his coach in 2017. He, he would have been better, but he never would have been the right pick instead of Watson or Mahomes. So if you had a wish list, JJ, who do you want the, who do you want to be the bears starter in 2021? And then who do you think will be? the Bears starter in 2021? I mean, you know, throwing all realism out the window, your wish list is Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. Like, those are the quarterbacks you want. Those are quarterbacks who you can win a Super Bowl with. Realistically, and I went, I went into depth on this on the House Sale podcast that I did last week, like, I, I settled on Gardner Minshew. I mean, he's cheap. He is about an average quarterback at best, maybe some year three upside if you get him in the right system. Um, but mostly you, you, you trade for Gardner Minshew and then you draft someone. And I don't think at 20 you're going to get one of the five or even six top quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft, which, you know, Trevor Lawrence obviously is number one. And then there's kind of that next group of two of Justin Fields and, or yeah, Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. And then there's number four, Trey Lance, and then kind of five, six, Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. I don't think any of those guys are going to be available at number 20. Um, and that to me is where the bears are going to have a lot of trouble is, you know, you might have to reach, for someone in second round or even the third round, but you got to get someone in your building. I think you got to get multiple young quarterbacks in your building. So I, I would say trade, trade for Gardner Minshew, you know, it'll probably cost you a mid round pick uh, and maybe something, you know, like a, a mid round and a late round pick and then draft multiple quarterbacks. Treat Nick Foles as basically a sunk cost. Like you don't even need to worry about him and start building for 2021 – or, sorry, 2022. Um, I don't think Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are going to operate that way because they need to win now. And I think that leads them down more of a path to go get, say, uh, a Sam Darnold, someone who has talent, has potential, but has been – a much, much worse quarterback than Gardner Minshew over the last couple years. Um, I think it leads them to, to overcommitting resources to try to find someone they can fix, and that ultimately leading the Bears down a really, really dark path for the next couple of years. So, J.J., I know Cam Ellis tweeted this this morning that the Bears have never had a 4,000-yard passer Every Bears fan or anyone who's ever covered this team understands that we are, we're just grasping at straws for 
a great quarterback. We've never had one. And it just seems that it, it may be front office. I, I, I don't know. I, I find myself asking this a lot. Why do you think the Chicago Bears have never had a true franchise quarterback? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the question, right? Um, and I asked this to John Moon Mullen when I did an interview with him on House of L. Uh, you know, Moon's been covering the team since 1992. Uh, and he was just sort of like, it's really hard to explain. Um, I think the, when I look at it, the problem is that the Bears, the Bears have not taken enough swings at it. Like, the, the swing they took to go get Jay Cutler, those are the kind of swings you have to take. And the swing, quite frankly, the swing they took on Mitch Trubisky, that is the kind of swing you have to take but you have to keep doing it. And there was a period from Cade McNown to Jay Cutler where the bears didn't take that big swing. Yes. They drafted Rex Grossman, but they drafted Rex Grossman in the, in the late first round. You know, that's not, that's not a swing. That is not a, a going for a home run swing to really get this right. You have to keep going big while also building around the quarterback. And, and this is one area where I do believe the franchise has and kind of the undercurrent of this franchise has set them back is the bears are a franchise that is so steeped in defense and running the football that I think sometimes the, the, you know, building the structure around a quarterback is something that gets lost sight. I mean, it's kind of lost in it. And, you know, for the bears to become the franchise, they should be as the Chicago bears, they have to keep taking swings at quarterback and you can build as great of a defense as you want, which is what Brian Pace has done. It doesn't matter if you don't have the quarterback. So I think Ryan Pace has got his swing at quarterback. You know, he, he missed on it. Jerry Angelo's swing at quarterback was Jay Cutler. He missed on it. Not as bad as Pace missed on it with Trubisky. Um, I think you, you got to just keep finding people who are willing to take swings and it's scary because when you miss on it, you know, it sets the franchise back. But would you rather, rather kind of keep piddling along as an 8-8 eight and eight team that maybe has a spike here or there into the double-digit wins, into winning the division? Or would you rather try to become the Green Bay Packers and always have that quarterback? And, you know, the Packers with Jordan Love, I know it, it's been kind of derided in a lot of places, but that's the kind of forward-thinking moves – move a franchise needs to take if they want to have stability at this position you have to take a quarterback when you don't need one and the bears have needed a quarterback for 20 30 years at this point and you have to keep taking those shots and i think the, the bears problem has been they just have not taken enough of those and they're they've been doing it a little more lately but why they haven't found a, a you know a great quarterback since Sid Luckman and maybe, you know, a year of Jim McMahon here, a year of Jay Cutler there is because they just haven't taken enough of those swings. It's interesting that you say that, JJ. There was several years back, I, I was phoning into 670 and AM 1000 and happened to get on Boers and Bernstein and made the point, and of course got crushed for it, that the Bears have not had a blue chip athlete on offense since Walter Payton. And, you know, Ryan and I have sat in the office and gone position by position to look at the 
the elite, like, you know, LT, Ladino Tomlinson's like D hop type players, you would have thought they might've stumbled into one at some point that drought, you know, specifically on offense is almost inexplicable. And I'm not sure if I have a question in there. I guess I'm just curious what you, what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's completely legit. Um, let me think here. I mean, Matt Forte, um, you know, he would be, you know, they've had some guys like Matt Forte, Brandon Marshall was one. Um, Alshon Jeffrey was close to one. Allen Robinson is up there. Um, but no, I mean, they have not had, I guess, the elite of the elite since Walter Payton, which, you know, I think that that's in another sense, probably, you know, if you're comparing everyone to Walter Payton, you're always going to come up short, right? Um, I do think that the Bears, the, to me right now, the issue is they, they have invested so much into their defense. And I, I think that at some point the Bears need to start investing back into their offensive line and, you know, it's a lot easier to find playmakers, quite frankly, when you have a good offensive line. That was proven, I think, with David Montgomery. You know, we, we debated whether or not he was even going to be a legit future running back. And with slight improvement in the offensive line, we got our answer. I mean, he was a completely different player. Um, JJ, uh... This is the time for our absolute favorite segment. We have our first-time guests share an unpopular opinion. This doesn't need to be football-related. It can be, uh, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. We, uh, New England Patriots tight end Matt Lacoste says he doesn't like cheese. My good friend Rob Kirkland says Portillo's is overrated. Uh, we have had some good ones. And so, JJ, we knew this was coming, and we are curious, what is your unpopular opinion? Deep dish pizza sucks. JJ, if what? you're if you yeah if you're from Chicago and you have a, a visitor coming in from out of town and they're like oh you know I I really I really just want some deep dish pizza be like no we're gonna go get some Chicago thin crust tavern style pizza and that is the real Chicago style pizza not deep dish tavern style where you get the little triangles in the corners. That, to me, that is Chicago-style pizza. Can you explain? I mean, how, how do you undermine – we take our students on, you know, urban history, you know, uh, tours in the city, and one of them we do. Uh, we stop at Lumanati's, and they talk about the history of, you know, the deep dish and how it came about and the water that they use. So I know a little bit about the history of Lou's. Can you explain a little more? What, how do you put that at such a priority? Because, like, okay, so, like, one piece of deep dish pizza is, like, I need to go take a nap. But you get, you get the tavern style, and you can eat a couple pieces of that and feel good. And also, deep dish is, like, it's, like, this, like, novelty in Chicago that, oh, man, like, we, we got to get deep dish. We're in Chicago. Like, no, you don't. Chicago, the other hot take I have is that Chicago's best, like, local thing that is, uh, you know, as special to the city as it can get is the Italian beef sandwich. Like, I, I cannot find a good Italian beef sandwich outside the city of Chicago 
uh, or the Chicagoland area, I should say, because Johnny's is in Elmwood Park. Um, it, that, to me, that is, like, whenever I have friends come in from out of town, it's like, we're going to get a beef and maybe a beef, like a beef and sausage combo. We're, we're going to get that. We're not going to get deep dish. JJ, it's so interesting that you say that just because of a, a few of our last episodes, we had a guest from Melbourne, Australia, and we had guests from uh, England, Ireland, and Scotland. And one of the things that we threw out to them is, we can't wait for you to have deep dish pizza. So that is, uh, that's, man. Uh, so I can't wait for them to hear this episode and try to figure out which, which one they believe is, is better. Um, JJ, we just got to say thank you so much for being a part of the Bear Down Report podcast. Any shout outs that you would like to give? I know with you being on the House of L podcast, you have an opportunity to kind of say uh, hello to anybody that's out there. But uh, just, just for this one, anyone that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah. So if anyone's looking to hire a really talented writer who is an absolute blast to work with, hire Cam Ellis. Um, he's extremely good at what he does. He was my podcast partner at NBC Sports Chicago for a couple of years, uh, worked with him on the Bears beat for a couple of years. I cannot say enough good things about Cam Ellis. Uh, hire him as soon as you can if you're looking for someone who's very good at what they do. Um, and then another shout out to Lawrence Holmes for just giving me the, the platform to keep talking about the Bears and getting my, my pod energy out on the House of L podcast. Uh, really appreciate everything he has done for me, not only over the last month, but really over the course of my career. He's been a huge champion for it. Um, and I can't thank him enough for that. So yeah, I'll, I'll shout those two guys out. So for all of you who are listening, we, we've had so many great guests on and, you know, JJ taking some time out of, of his life right now with the two little guys that he has at home, as well as, you know, just now he's in the job hunt. I mean, JJ, if, if you're still listening to this episode, man, you, you, have no idea how much we appreciate your time on this one. It, it was incredible to have you on. Thank you so, so very much for that. Now that we had JJ on, any, any thoughts that you kind of had as, as he was talking through all the great stuff that he was saying? He offered some great nuggets. It's so great to have somebody that is an insider, you know, that gives us a perspective. And as I start to tally the things that he talked about in a more holistic way, and he talked about the futility of the offense that he covered the entire time that he covered it. And we've talked about how disappointing that was to watch them and then go watch some other team just light it up on Sundays. You think about the Allen Robinson situation. You think about the quarterback situation. Um, you consider that likely, you know, the, the head coach and the GM are on a one-year contract. Uh, you look at the stubbornness of Matt Nagy and the way that he handled Mitch and the play calling, and you go back and ponder again the, you know, the, the exit interview and the, the collaboration you know, that was discussed over and over again. When you look at all of that, Ryan, and I think we've talked about this you know, in the office, are, are the Bears amongst the, the worst three to five franchises? Did they have any way out of this? You take all of those into consideration. And I mean, what do you, dumpster fire, hurt locker? I mean, it's, it's bad, right? The, the cap situation, the way that it has been explained to me is that they can do 
enough to wiggle around for one more year, but they are essentially kicking the can down the road to the point where at some point this is going to fall in on itself and it's, it's just not going to work. So you have guys that Bears fans don't really trust right now in Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace that are fighting to save their job. So they're going to do everything they possibly can for a one season run where now I think a lot of Bears fans are thinking about, well, what are we going to be doing long-term? Because a lot of this defense is starting to age out a little bit. Like my guy, Akeem Hicks, I love him. He has been one of my favorite Bears for a long time. He's kind of coming towards the end of his career. I mean, he's still playing at an unbelievably high level. Uh, but, you know, some of those pieces are, are, are not going to be there. And it's seemingly that this team is going to have to somehow shift into being a different kind of team. And we know that takes time. I, I just don't know how, how they do that this offseason. I just don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. And especially I think there's a great likelihood that they will, you know, um, use a lot of assets to get a quarterback that isn't Minshew, for instance. I, I think that we can be relatively assured of that. So let's say perhaps that they do get, uh, you know, one of the more, you know, popular names. Uh, and then they do maybe franchise tag, you know, Allen Robinson. That, I guess, would be really the only formula. Right? And, then, and then they do go and they, they win enough games to save their jobs. Um, but then what? Because you're exactly right about the defense. That's going to that's gonna become a, a major issue. So I've got to give a, a quick shout-out before we get out of here. My buddy Mike from Melbourne, uh, that is an episode that we had a blast. Kevin Olefsky and I got together. We talked about Australian rules football, and it has been pretty well-received uh, over in Australia. And so, uh, Mike from Melbourne, if you're listening, thank you so much for your help with that. We are stoked to have you on as our token Aussie uh, that we'll have on a few points this season. Crazy knowledgeable, great guy. Just uh, very, very excited about having him on. Uh, for Jack Wright, I'm Ryan Dengel. We want to say thank you guys so much for listening to the Bear Down Report podcast. Uh, our Twitter situation is still a little bit bleak. We're both still new to the game. So if you get a chance, you can follow Jack at J Wright. That's J-W-R-I-G-H-T-B-D-R. And I'm at B-D-R Dengel, D-E-N-G-E-L. We would love a follow. We love to follow Bears fans back to, to get a bit of banter going back and forth. Again, we've obviously got to thank JJ for being on the show. We've got two more position groups coming up. We've got wide receivers and defensive backs. We're really looking forward to those episodes coming up here in a little bit for you folks. And also, we've got a guest coming on that's going to be talking about the salary cap situation as things kind of get rolling here. For all of us at the Bear Down Report podcast, folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing any of our content. If you like this podcast, please hit subscribe. If you really like this podcast, hit us with a five-star review. That really broadens our audience and it would help us out immensely as we are the new kids on the block trying to make it in this vast sea of podcasts that are out there. And folks, as always, Bear Down. report.